Our reading today is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, to, down to chapter 2, verse 1. If you are using the Black Bible or our church Bible, you can find it in, in page 9111 9, to 912. Verse 16 starts, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what we may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do not ought not to be done. They do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. 
Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. This is the word of God. Thanks, Celine. If you can keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1, uh, as we go through it, that would be great. And um, I have uh, neglected to put some of the resources that I want to recommend to, uh, recommend to you in the app and things, and so I'll send them out uh, tomorrow um, when we... Um, uh, with our emails and things, um, but so do look out for that. Uh, but let's pray that God will speak to us today. Lord, we come to this very difficult text um, about an issue that many of us struggle with um, and the people around us struggle with. And Lord, uh, we pray now that we'll be shaped by your word, uh, that we'll be shaped by your love and compassion, uh, but also um, our uh, right understanding of who we are, um, right understanding of how we should strive for holiness. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us uh, through your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The American novelist Mark Twain was in London in 1897 on a speaking tour when a rumor sprang up that he was really sick. And after a while, another rumor came up that he actually had died. An American newspaper apparently printed his obituary. Um, and so... Uh, 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 a reporter came up to ask him, what do you think about all of this? And he said famously, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And I feel that that's true of the Bible as well. Many people, after digging up supposed discrepancies, coming up with theories about how it was put together or showing how, showing how science has disproved it, have declared the Bible to be dead, irrelevant, to have nothing to say to the people of today. People point to the Bible's treatment of issues like this, homosexuality or treatment of women. Uh, slavery and hell as indication how, of how the culture has moved on, that it's different from what the Bible teaches. So in the next four weeks, we're going to face these issues head on. Like Mark Twain's supposed death, I think the reports of the Bible's death has, has been greatly exaggerated, and not only uh, that I think it's alive and kicking, that, but it's still offering hope and love that everybody is searching for. And so today, we'll turn to the issue of homosexuality, and we'll go first um, briefly about how, what the Bible actually teaches and, how, uh, and ask the question, is it really outdated, and does it have anything to offer to us on this complicated issue? But before we do any of that, I want to speak to our, what our attitude should be as we approach this topic towards the LGBTQ community. I was shocked when I was in high school of hearing of death of Phil, a Phil who I knew from middle school. He had committed suicide, he was gay, he was closeted, and he died in loneliness. 
There was a girl who I ran with in the high school cross-country team. Uh, in university time, she had committed suicide. It was for the same reason. And it's not just in the U.S. I've had conversations with those who sat in these chairs about their pain and uh, how, uh, what, what, what their parents did when they found out that they were gay how they uh, were, uh, struggled with loneliness and shame and guilt and how they many times contemplated suicide as well. Can you imagine the shame and the pain that puts one in the position of wanting, preferring death over life? You know, when LGBTQ community advocate for the right rights and recognition, actually what they're doing is that that community is filled with these stories, stories of self-hatred and shame and thoughts of uh, suicide. What they want is when they advocate for the, right, uh, the rights of the LGBT community, they want to rectify it. They, want to, they don't want these things to happen to their community anymore. And no matter how we feel as Christians about these issues, the first uh, instinct for us should be sympathy and love towards those who are hurting, people who are suffering. We need to have that attitude because that is what God calls us to be, loving towards our neighbors who are hurting. But of course, love doesn't mean unqualified approval of everything that people do. Their actions the Bible tells us to love, but then it also tells us how to love. The Bible also speaks about homosexual practices. And unlike other issues that we're going to approach uh, in these coming weeks, the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament speak unequivocally with one voice on this issue. The issue doesn't come up much, but when it does, it condemns homosexual practices. Notice, it's not the same thing as condemning the same-sex attraction. We're all fallen. Whether we're straight or gay, we struggle with our sexuality. We all have sexual sins in our lives. We're broken in that area, all of us as well. Just as the Bible condemns, for example, premarital sex, it condemns acting on the homosexual desires, same-sex desires. There are a few verses like this, Leviticus 18, 22, 20, 13. You can read, read it there. Both unequivocally prohibit homosexual acts. Some argue that this is about ritual prostitution, but if it is, it's really not very obvious. But actually, that's all there is in the Old Testament. Genesis 19, where people often point to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, actually isn't about homosexuality. It's really about the wickedness of the entire city. But the New Testament does speak more about it. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. For sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, that they, they use the technical word, um, arsenokotai, and actually which is another word uh, which is used again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10. And in these, both of these passages, it, they, they call it sin. Right, Greek words in this passage are technical. The first word here, the, the sexually immoral, uh, the adulterers there is ma- uh, malakoi. And the second word, men who have sex with men, that's arsenikotai, the same word used in First, uh, first Timothy. It, soft ones and men who lie with men. Uh, there's much dispute about what these mean exactly, but there's very little doubt that 
that this is a paraphrasing of the prohibition found in Leviticus. Because the Greek translation of Leviticus passage uses similar words, men and people who lie in bed with other men. But the most important passage for us, I think, is Romans 1. The text that we read, it's the most comprehensive and theological of all these different texts. And Paul, if you look at Romans 1, he starts out with the creation. How God created all of us in creation of the world. Uh, since the creation of God's, uh, since the creation, God's invisible qualities have been known throughout the world. It's clearly seen, verse 20. But instead of worshiping and glorifying God, in, instead of obeying God, we turned against Him. We turned to idol worship. And Paul here t- uh, tells us um, that. The, 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 what happens is a result of our idolatry. The root uh, sin is idolatry, and the outshoot, offshoot of that is rebellion against God, rejection of God's design for us, and doing what our sinful hearts want. One example of this is homosexual act in verse 26 and 27. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural one. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relationships with, with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves due penalty for their error. It's clear that this is not about pederasty, which is uh, what it, it, it filled um, the Greek culture. It's older men taking advantage of younger boys It's not about that because it speaks of two people being inflamed with lust for one another. It also speaks of lesbianism as well, not just men, but it also brings in women, which is the only place in the Bible that speaks to lesbianism. But what's important to notice here is that Paul's not just picking a random example here. Right? See, he's using homosexual acts as plain example of rejection of God's design for us. This is how Richard Hayes of Duke University put it. Paul portrays homosexual behavior as a sacrament, so to speak, of anti-religion of human beings who refuse to honor God as creator. When human beings engage in homosexual activity, they enact an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual reality, rejection of the Creator's design. What God has done is making it plain, His design. And we have turned to idol worship. And an example of that is homosexual acts, going against God's plain design. Some say, though, this doesn't apply to those who are born with homosexual desire, whose nature, they say, is same-sex attraction. LGBTQ community says it's all about expressing their nature, wanting to be who they are. But unfortunately, that's not how the word nature is used in this passage. Paul's not equating nature with how you feel, how we feel. Actually, the Bible has a lot to warn us about how we feel today, right? It might lead us to adultery and greed and being vengeful. Prophet prophet Jeremiah wrote, Our heart is deceitful about all things, above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's because since Adam and Eve, our hearts are filled with things that are not supposed to be there. When Paul says nature here, he's meaning God's design, 
how God created the world, how things are supposed to be. It, that's the whole point of mentioning that God created the world, that it's his world that he created. And if you aren't convinced, listen to Jesus. Lots of people say Jesus taught nothing about sex, homosexuality. Well, on the surface, that's true. But if you dig deeper, he did teach about marriage. He did teach about sexuality. Remember what he said when he's asked about divorce. He goes back to the Old Testament teaching about marriage. He says in Matthew 19, 4 to 5, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? Haven't you read what the Creator did? He goes back to the creation principle. He quotes from Genesis 2. And in this way, in this simple way, he affirmed what the Old Testament taught about all of this. That we're created male and female. Sex is between husband and wife in that committed relationship, in that marriage. It's against this backdrop that we ought to read all these other passages without some textual gymnastics, it's really difficult to make these passages uh, condone homosexual uh, practices of any kind, which is the reason why people say the Bible is outdated. The culture has moved on. We've moved on. The Bible must be wrong. And I think what people are really saying, if the argument stops there, is... I really don't like what the Bible says. I really dislike it. That's what they're saying, right? And if that's the argument, um, I want to say something like this. It's really difficult. I understand why people say this, because it's really difficult to go against what we think is right. But I want to ask, what kind of a relationship do you want from God? Is the God that you have in your mind, God who affirms all the things that you think is right and never contradicts you, if that's the kind of God that you want, right, is he really God? Is he able to say, is he able to say you are wrong? What kind of, is, it, is he really God or is it a God of your imagination, a God who never contradicts you and what you think is right? Mary has challenged me on all sorts of things in my marriage because we are in a real relationship. She's allowed to speak to me about what I think is right and wrong. And we have arguments and we have conversations about that. How much more with God? And isn't that what we need as human beings for God to tell us where we are wrong, even though we feel strongly about it? Isn't that what we should expect if the Bible is God's word spoken to all of us? And some claim, though, the Bible doesn't really address modern concepts of committed relationships, committed same-sex relationship or homosexual orientation. It can't be condemning what it doesn't know. But of course, the context of the New Testament is actually a lot like the context of today. In fact, it sexu in, in, in sexuality, it was much more liberal in many sense. Plato in the 4th century BC tells a story about how Zeus split humanity and created humanity both as heterosexuals and homosexuals. 4th century BC. 
People knew about homosexual orientation even back then, the culture in which the Bible, the New Testament, is written. People, living, people were living in committed same-sex relationship in that culture. This is not a modern invention. It goes back even in that Greek culture. It's there in Plato. Some claim, though, that in the end, love should be the only rule that we should abide by. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Isn't it unloving, even cruel, to deny homosexual relationship and our fundamental desire for sex? I'd say no. If love were the only rule, right, cheating on your wife because you love now somebody else, well, isn't that allowed? Doesn't love need some rules about how to love? Doesn't God need to tell us how to love each other if we are to truly love one another? And the Bible says it's not loving to let our Christian brothers and sisters act on their same-sex attraction. You know, the people who are, um, people who are same-sex attracted, who are Christian, who want to live out the biblical principles, what they say is that it's unloving for you to equivocate, to waver, for you to waver, because it tempts them. If we stand clearly on the teaching of the Bible and encourage them to keep going, that's what's loving for them. Some people frame this issue as a matter of justice that we shouldn't discriminate. We don't discriminate based on gender or uh, color, ethnicity, or class, and we shouldn't discriminate people based on their sexual orientation. On the one hand, I wholeheartedly agree. Right? Christians should protect everyone from hate speech, from systematic homophobia and discrimination. I have a friend who's a progressive pastor. Like, he's a very liberal Christian, and uh, he has a liberal church, and he put up uh, uh, the rainbow sign in front of his church to welcome uh, uh, the, the gay and lesbian community into his church. But immediately what happened was he was threatened. He was threatened with violence. He, he, emails were sent. People called the church. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. That's not loving, and that's unjust. I mean, we saw what happened in Christ church. On Friday, 49 people died. And Christians rightly should stand against that and say that that should not happen. We should be the ones who are protecting the most vulnerable, people who are hurting. But that doesn't mean that we go into the mosque and say, actually, all that you believe about Allah, but that's correct. That's not what we should do as Christians. In the same way, I don't think that standing for justice necessarily means that we bless same-sex marriage, that we should be for same-sex marriage or blessing of uh, the same-sex union. The Scripture defines what is right and wrong on this matter, and we can go against God's created order. And when we speak like this, we're, we'll be accused of being on the wrong side of history. But friends... Today, this culture doesn't define history, right? History needs a long view, a long perspective. And God has told us that if we are to be on the right side of history, we should be with God and his views. There's so much to say about all these different issues, but I want to move on to the last question. Is the Bible still relevant 
in this topic, especially for those who are struggling with this issue? Absolutely. As we've seen, there, are, there aren't too many places uh, in the Bible that speaks about homosexuality, but that's because the Bible's big message isn't about sexual sins. Right? The Bible speaks to uh, God's love for us. How he loved us so much so that even though we have rebelled against him, even though we have rejected him as our creator, as our ruler, God sent his son to die for us that we might have relationship with him, that we might know the true love that we're all longing for. Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual or whatever we are, we are, we are wanting, we, we want this committed love of God. The unconditional love of God. That's what we're made for. That's what the Bible is all about. And that's what we can offer. That's what the Bible offers to all of us. And that's why also singleness in the New Testament is so elevated, isn't it? Sex is secondary to, Christi- uh, to Christians because we are a people who bear witness to the fact that we do not need sex in order to be satisfied because God's love is worth sacrificing everything for. It is him that we desire, that we are made for. That's the message of the Bible, and that's the good news that we can offer to everybody around us. We need only look to Jesus, Jesus who lived a celibate life, Paul who lived a celibate life all his life. And the love of Christ also creates something else that everybody, I think, is longing for. A real community, a genuine community. People in genuine communities do not pretend to be something that they are not. We don't always do this. But as Christians, we can be uniquely a genuine community, right? People who are real, people who are themselves, authentic selves. We can be frank about who we are because the prerequisite for you to join Shatin Church and any other church is not how good you are, how, how, how moral you are. The prerequisite of joining a church to being a Christian is admitting that we are sinners, that we are broken people, that something is not right with all of us, any of us. The Bible doesn't single out homosexual acts. Right? In our reading today in Romans 1, Paul gave us a list of all sorts of sins that we're all given over to in verse 29 and on. Take a look at the list. All sorts of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, hatred of God, insolence, arrogance, and pride. Don't we see ourselves? Don't we see our hearts in that? He concludes in chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore... Have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass on judgment. Do the same thing. None of us can be self-righteous. Friends, I struggle with sexual sins, lustful thoughts. I've struggled with pornography. There are things, other sins like greed, pride, and anger that I often fall prey to as well. We don't have to be pretend. We don't have to pretend to be perfect in this community. We are sinners here. And if you struggle with same-sex attraction, I hope you'll know that you are at a, same, a safe place in this church. We cannot judge you. We will not judge you. This is a community of sinners, people who come, who have come only because of God's grace. 
as you come, know that you will be loved. We love each other despite our brokenness. And finally, the Bible offers things, the thing that's found only in Jesus. Hope for now and hope for tomorrow. I loved showing that, Vaughn's, uh, that video uh, from Vaughn. Vaughn said in that video that we're fallen, though in different ways, um, that we're fallen in our sexual desires, all of us. That it's hard for everybody to stay pure sexually. But God sent Jesus Christ. He breathed his Holy Spirit on us as we have come to him. He's working in us to transform us with the power of his Spirit through our brokenness, in our brokenness. Did you hear how Vaughn actually says that he became a more humble person? He's able to identify with brokenness of others. Uh, He has experienced the richness of friendships, deepened his relationship with Christ, not despite, but through and, 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 and through his brokenness, through his same-sex attraction, because of it. And did you hear the last line? Although there has been pain in being same-sex attracted, I'm very grateful for what God has done in and through it. He's grateful for what God has given him. Because in and through it, God has made him more like Jesus that God is indeed using all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his good purpose. And of course, not only is he working in and through all of our brokenness, God will heal us. The hope that we're given because of what Jesus has done for us is that the last word for all of us is not brokenness, but it's wholeness. It's recreation. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from all our brokenness. That's the hope that the Bible offers to all of us. There was a conference where this topic of homosexuality was discussed. At the end of it was a question and answer time. One lady, and when one lady came, came up to the mic and asked, how can we make sure that our children do not grow up with same-sex attraction? The speaker paused and answered, don't you want your child to be like Vaughn? Somebody who loves Jesus and somebody who serves him with all of his heart and all of his life. Our ambition as Christians is that. It's not that we are not, we don't struggle with this and that. Uh, The world wants to make our sexual orientation our identity. It wants to exaggerate the importance of this issue. But our identity is in Christ. Love and freedom and hope that's found in Christ. And that's the good news of the Bible. That's the good news that we can offer to the world. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we confess that we are broken people. People whose every part is affected by sin. Lord, we thank you that we can be a community of sinners here. That we are here not because we are good, but because we recognize our sinfulness and our brokenness and our need of you. 
Help us to be a community that is filled with your grace and love for each other, not because of our brokenness, but in spite of our brokenness. Help us to be a community that stands uh, with your standard and with what you have taught us and how you have revealed, but also a, a, a community that's filled with your grace and love, people who are being transformed by the power of your spirit. We thank you for the hope that is offered through Christ. And Lord, may we be a people who offer this love, this power of transformation, and the hope that is coming to the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.